Lyrics of the Hub, your fan cast, brought to you by TV Series Hub. Welcome back to NERCs. I am your host, Kelsey, and I'm joined by fellow NERC, Gemma. Hello. And we are really excited to introduce you to the producer and director of NUM and the team that makes up Jenkinson and Good Productions, Dylan Jenkinson and Jason Good. Thank you for coming on. Our Thank pleasure. you for having us. Yeah, this is great. Well, we are really excited and we thought we needed to kick this off with the most important question about NUM that we think all the questions are dying to know. The two of you, how long would you last surviving in the freezing cold? <laughs> well, we are oh. Canadian, but we have a kind of a built-in um, resilience to the cold, but not very long. <laughs> one night, maybe. One night. One night. How about you, Dylan? How are your survival skills? Um, I I definitely think that if I was um, out in the cold, I would be about maybe six hours, I think. I just have a lot less bulk. Uh, if you see any pictures of me and Jason, um, you know, <laughs> I'm the short one. And so I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think a big game, but I don't know if I'd last very long out there. Um, although we were out in, you know, in really freezing temperatures for, for very long shooting days. So, you know, thank goodness for heavy coats, uh, and, and some heaters and, and, uh, thermal underwear, you know, I'm going to change my I'm going to say two days because if Dylan dies first, I'm going to eat him. <laughs> there you go. You got that fuel to go. All right. Par- partnership. That's what that's what it's all about, Jason. You're not quite big enough to go Tauntaun, but we could. We'll find something. To- <laughs> that's awesome. So Numb, for those of you who haven't watched, is a great, super intense thriller starring Gemma's favorite actor, Jamie Bamber, <laughs> who we also love. Uh, so can you guys kind of walk us through how Numb came to be? Yeah, sure. I can jump on on that one. Um, Andre Harden is a uh, screenwriter who I had worked with on another project that we were trying to get off the ground. And while that was starting to fizzle and we weren't, didn't look like we were going to be able to get it made. Um, he sent me an email and said, Hey, I, I've been working on this other script called numb. Here's a first draft. What do you think? And of course, like any good director, it was like months before I actually printed it off and read this, the draft. But when I did, I realized that there was something I don't know. It was it was raw. It was the first draft, but it was really special, and I loved um, some of the elements in it right from the get go. And sent it over to Dylan and said we should uh, we should look at seriously look at maybe making this our next project. Um, and then it took five years before it was finished. So wow. that was for the finish film. Wow. I mean, for me, I, I came across it because I am a Jamie fan. So I, um, you know, you, you look at back catalogs and you, you start looking at all different films. And so but it was one that stood out to me um, from from others just because the, the concept of it sounded really interesting. And I've watched it so many times since I just I love it. And I think you get something different from it each time you watch it. And it is seriously intense. There's like there's no... There's no comic elements to it at all. It's just it gets intense and then it moves and it moves and it moves and it just gets more and more intense. Um, how was it that Jamie came to be on board with with the project? Yeah. So, do you, Jason, do you mind if I take this one? Yeah, jump in. All right. Um, yeah, Jamie, uh, his agent actually heard about it. Um, our casting director was sending it around in in L.A., um, his LA agent had, had seen it and, um, they just called us up and said, he's super, you know, he's really excited about this. Like, how can we, how can we set up a meeting? How can we set up a phone call? Jason, I, I think you took a phone call pretty shortly after that, where you and Jamie talked through the script and, um, you know, it was really as simple as that. Um, I mean, you know, the, the process you're out there, you're casting, uh, Jason had actually had Jamie on an early list of, of cast of actors that he thought of. And for some reason, I, I, you know, just for, for whatever reason it had not gone officially to him yet. So it was kind of like when he, you know, they, when they reached out to us, it kind of, you know, it, it just made total sense. And, um, Jason, what was that? I remember you had like some really interesting conversation with Jamie early on 
I think one in particular phone call. Am I right? So I was a huge Battlestar fan. So of course, when when we heard Jamie Bamber was interested, it was like, oh, this is, that makes total sense. We had talked about him early in the process, and yeah, so we had a Skype call and had a great conversation. And right away, you just with Jamie, you know, oh, this guy's going to be the smartest guy in the room in any given situation you're in. He just is super sharp kind of got the script right away immediately had some great notes what to, to do to make it better and could tell it was going to be a really good collaborative experience so it happened pretty quickly after that that he signed on i mean he is fantastic in it and i mean he is he's a brilliant we, we are both fans of him aren't we kelsey i mean yes, it's of course <laughs> I got, well as we get into this i have lots of like for me jamie was just an example of what what a pro is like he, the way he's prepares the way he adjusts to last minute changes um there's i got a few great jamie stories we, we've had that a lot as well i um, i think from from various different people on different things that he's worked on that is something that that people say um and in terms of the the other cast because i mean it's a fantastic cast across the board it's a small cast but it's a fantastic cast across the board um did they approach you as well or was it a case of you reaching out to them how did how did it come to be this collaborative thing with everyone on board well um i am uh friends with alex ponovic who plays lee we have done um we had done a couple of short films together we had done theater together and right from the, the first draft we were writing that character for him and involved him in the process quite early on showing him the script and just getting his feedback on it and we wrote it with his voice in mind <laughs> So um, he was the one who actually suggested Marie Adropolis because they had recently worked together on uh, The Hundred. And um, so he brought her to my attention and I quickly looked at a bunch of episodes because at that point I hadn't seen any. And she was obviously great. So he, I think, approached her at like the Hundred rap party. Uh he tells us and you know when they were a little tipsy and was like hey uh, <laughs> yeah i think they were on the dance floor i thought alex said that he actually took her out on the dance floor and was kind of like hey do you want to do this movie yeah you know, they're a little bit tipsy and just, exactly he played um, it well that's right uh and then um i can't remember how steph got on her radar but it was well, I saw some demo footage from her and some other things that, and it was like, wow, she's, she has some chops and felt like a, for that role, we were looking for someone who had, um, come from wealth and you could sort of had that demeanor and, um, I don't know what you know about Stephanie, but I think she actually does come from, I think she's got some royal blood in her oh. somewhere. So, uh, once we, we, she was in LA at the time and we Skyped and talked through the project and she totally understood the Don character and, and it just felt perfect, like a, a perfect fit. So, and then, uh, Colin Cunningham, who plays loner, um, I can't remember. Uh, Robin Weiner, I think had worked with him before one of the other producers on the project. And, Robin uh, Weiner went to film school with him. Uh, oh, that's what it was. Uh. Yeah. So, yeah. Huge fan of his from some TV shows he'd been in, and and he was perfect. He was um, available and uh, ready to go. Yeah, because his is his is a smaller role, but it, it, it's an important role, and uh, he just he's fantastic at it. He's he's just yeah, he stands out for me. Yeah, you talk about intensity. That that scene and the process of shooting that scene was intensity kind of personified. Mm -hmm. And and Colin comes to the set. He I think it was like the midpoint. You know, we were like exactly halfway through shooting. So there's a lot of tiredness. We were shooting six day weeks, you know, trying to maximize snow. And uh, so he came onto the set and he just he's kind of a bit of a uh, he's like a Loki character, uh, you know, type, type person. He just comes mm -hmm. in. He's, he's mischievous. He's playing super high energy. And um, yeah, he, he he definitely helped that day be very, very memorable. And the scene is super, super intense and fantastic. Scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So can you guys talk a little bit about your dynamic as producer director of the film and how that sort of works, how you two work together to create your vision? 
the way we work together has been an evolving process. It changes from project to project sometimes, but, you know, overall, we're an equal team, two halves of a team, and both of our creative voices are involved in every decision. And um, though, you know, I am the director on the day where I'm the one primarily talking to the actors, I'm bringing a vision for both of us into that project. And Dylan is just as creatively involved, even if at that point he is holding together all the logistics and making sure that the, the, the production stays together. But even on a project where I might be like, there's some projects work on now where I'm the primary writer of the project. Um, Dylan's still the best story editor that I've ever worked with. And I trust his voice more than any other voice in terms of some of the details and creative noodling of each script and each decision I'm making. And so we're very much, uh, you know, a close knit team. And I suppose that relationship helps on a on a small, smaller independent type film. I'm having that type of relationship must be very helpful in in those instances because it's it's already a small um, group of people working together. So having that um, you know bond that you 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 know you know how to work with each other that obviously must help a lot on smaller films like this. Yeah, it sure does. The the um. So me and Jason, when we, we started, yeah, 10 years ago, actually, I, we, I remember we had an early conversation, um, about partnership that, um, where we, we, we basically like, didn't, you know, talk about, you know, where some partners might come together around like (laughs) talking financial details of a company or something like that. We kind of more talked about generally, why would we want to work with each other? And, you know, the general idea was, um, like I want to make Jason great. And I know he, he has things that are in his wheelhouse that are, t- that are like, he's way more developed. And so I, I actually really wanted to not kind of just go out into the, <laughs> into the wilderness per se, you know, the filmmaking wilderness without being able to bounce things off somebody else without being able to like go through the process with somebody else. And we certainly don't agree on everything. Like, you know, that's for sure. But we, um, you know, just the process of kind of, you know, the friction essentially of, of working together has been super, super helpful. And there's a couple of things I'd say about Nam. You, you said how, you know, we, 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 we would meet in, uh, up in, in, you know, Jason's hotel room and like drink a root beer, you know, super huge vices over on this, on this side. Um, you know, we, we, we would meet up or we would walk from the set, you know, through like maybe in a couple of cases we're trudging, you know, we got the 20 minutes walk through, through the snow back to like a highway where we're going to get picked up by transport from the set. And, um, and we're, you know, we're talking, I think there was a couple of times where there was, there was a couple of tears, you know, about like, just like things that were going on during the day that, I mean, there's, there is real stress on a film shoot and indie, indie films. The main thing that separates an indie film from like a studio uh, film is that you can't, you can't fail. Like, I mean, you can fail, you do fail every day. I mean, we, but what, in the sense of like, you don't have like the budget to go reshoot five days. Right. Like, if you shoot mm-hmm. for three days and you really, you know, something really goes wrong you know, you can't afford to cast somebody else and do a five day reshoot and redo the ending. Right. Like, so there is real, there is that real like tension and, and stress of like, and Jason has this great mantra every day. He'd be asking himself, like, do I have a film? Like this is, this is all the decisions revolve around not kind of what is the ideal, but actually what is like, how do we make sure that we have a film at the end of this day? So like I trusted him, I trust him to think about that. And I know that he's trusting me as I'm leaving set saying, Hey, I'm going to be gone for two hours, uh, you know, to take care of this thing. This is what I think, you know, maybe in some cases I might say something like, this is what I really think about this next scene. You know, there's something chew on that. I'll be back. You know, like we're trying to have each other's backs Mm -hmm. in the best way possible. That makes, you know, indie filmmaking, a livable experience and uh, enjoyable experience. And one thing that's um, I'll point out about numb that you probably won't see in any other film um, is that um, at the end of post, Jason said to me, um, Hey, I want to like the, the, the tight, like the, the credit card at the end, usually, you know, comes up as directed by such and such. I'd like to put directed, you know, my name and, and have produced the credit on this card and that's actually you never see that because that's actually like not allowed by the by unions (laughs) Um, 
guilds, like the Directors Guild, you know, will defend that like crazy. And there's a reason for that, because producers would abuse it if they had the power, you know, like a studio producer. So I get it. But in this case, we we had as we were making this film in an indie level, we didn't have the, the Directors Guild necessarily um, that that problem. Um, Jason actually offered to said, hey, would you sh- like put your name on the same card? And I like I, I phoned our executive producer, who's like, who's an amazing guy, Nicholas Tabarak of Darius Films. And I was like, hey, I this is weird. I don't even know if I should accept this. Like this just, you know, this seems almost so gracious. Like, how do I deal with that? And he said, you know, well, I mean, think it over. You have to make a decision. You'll probably never get this chance again. But also it's kind of an, it's, it's pretty neat that Jason offered this. Like yeah. this is, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and, and so I think that's kind of personifies that collaborative relationship. And, and like, I certainly don't feel like, man, I deserve to be on that car. I just think like, wow, that was like a real moment of grace to be included. And, um, so yeah, so there's something your, your, your listeners will never see on another film uh, directed by an producer, except unless there's some old studio films, black and white days or like early studio system where that happened. But there you go. That's kind of, you know, something that I think represents that. The film that I seen that on where I gave me the idea is actually uh, Citizen Kane. Uh, okay. He uh, shares it with his DP. Oh, that's wow. really cool. Yeah. That's a great story. So, Dylan, I had a question specifically for you because I think that producer is sometimes a job that the everyday person doesn't really understand or wrap their head around what exactly a producer does. And not only producer, but you went from, I mean, you've done assistant production coordinator on some really big films, Bad Times, El Royale, the big Power Rangers movie, and then actually producing this. Can you tell us a little bit about what being a producer, I guess for you, what does that mean? And then how that compares to being than an assistant production coordinator on these like really big studio films. Yeah, Sorry, that's, that's kind a, of a big one. <laughs> I know that's that's okay. It's a it's a that's a good question. Um, so yeah, being a producer producer is like a, a very uh, it, it's because it evolves and like changes and morphs. That's why you know you don't. It's I, I even don't know if I go into a project and it's like if I'm part of a team of producers, you kind of have to talk about like what am I doing and what are you doing? Because, um, it does change from, but it's kind of like, it's almost a title, like an entrepreneur or, you know, that type of thing. It, it what it basically means for me, I, I like to focus. I want to focus more on the creative producing side of things. Like I want to see a project early on, see its value. Like Jason said, I like to story edit and kind of have some voice in the creative process. Um, but with like a, with thinking towards like, where does this land in the marketplace? Like, what is the poster that people see in the end? What is the log line? What's the thing that's going to make people want to watch this and where will it exist and entertain people? Um, so it's trying to stay kind of big, big picture thinking while trying, you know, with then having to address all these like little things like, you know, a tax credit and how to do the paperwork over here. So, um, the way those things come together. So I kind of fell into production coordinating, assistant production coordinating, um, Actually, my daughter, who's now 19, was born uh, and I got hired on a job in a production office and I was like just an early an assistant. And I realized that um, I could do a lot of my own stuff on uh, off hours and that like meaning like there's a two hours of dead time or five hours of dead time or something like that between fires to put out. And um, and so I could, you know, do creative things in between. And um, and it's amazing how much you how much of a film gets made in the preparation to shoot, not just the filming, but the prep is super, super important and and that side of things. So, um, so as a kind of professional, I've gone back and forth between working on a big show and usually it's like, you know, I could be handling all these details, um, you know, legal contracts, traveling people from here to there. And it, it just keeps, working out that part of my brain that's like filmmaking is a little bit like a puzzle it's a bunch of moving pieces and you got to bring them all together at the same time so it just keeps me thinking in that way and it pays the bills sometimes uh, which is not a bad thing we all know that and um and it kind of fits together because it keeps my professional relationships really strong too. So then when I go to do an indie film, it's like, you know, I go talk to the camera house where we were just, you know, or the 
post facility or whatever. And, um, I, I hope, I hope that makes sense. It's, it is a more, it is like, it's a, it's a bit of a confusing cloud because the reality is like every movie is a little bit different. All the pieces, like what's the most important thing. Me and Jason are working now on a book adaptation, um, of, a a doctor's memoir, uh, a doctor who lives in Vancouver, who, um, wrote a memoir about 10 years of her being the head doctor at a refugee clinic. And, um, meaning all the refugees from all over the world who come to Vancouver would have to go see her and her team. And she saw a bunch of crazy stuff and she wrote this great, very funny, moving and uh, very timely memoir. And so like, that's diff- very different from numb. And the, the yeah. you know, where, where numb is going to be like the big production logistic challenges, like how are we going to get people up to, you know, how are we going get, to get consistent snow? How are we going to make like <laughs> allow us all to live yeah. and function and <laughs> shoot this thing while on screen people are, you know, uh, freezing uh, and behind the camera. We were also freezing at times. <laughs> um, and then the challenge of, the, of this one might be like, how do we get, um, you know, a, a fantastic uh, actor of Iraqi or Syrian background to play this character and how do we find that right person? So it's going to change from project to project, but you know, that's, that's the challenge is trying to kind of strategically think and how do we like then get the money to actually make it. So, so you just, you, it, yeah, def- definitely. Cause it yeah. is, it's one of yeah. those confusing, um, roles sometimes that people, people want to know about. So no, that, that does help. Um, you just mentioned about the the weather, and we were talking about the um, before we started recording. We were talking about um, the weather and the snow in Num, and that you had some interesting stories about that. So, did you want to tell us a little bit more about about that? Sure. Yeah. We so we shot the film in and around um, Vernon, which is an area in the Okanagan in British Columbia beautiful place and in the winter it's snowy and so we when we went up a month or two before shooting it was just a gorgeous landscape with three two feet of snow and just everything we could hope for and when we showed up two months later it had become the warmest winter on record (laughs) typical and snow had melted and it was warming up very, very quickly. And even our the, the big lake right in that set piece towards the end of the film was melting. Oh, my gosh. So and we, still have, we still had cold days because we were yeah. shooting up in the mountains at times. And so the, some of the days would get quite cold. But it would also warm up um, in the middle of the day and melt stuff. And, uh, and overall, it was starting to uh, warm up quite quickly. So that was the constant stressor because the first one was, you know, the week leading up to production, the lake was melting. We went out on the lake and it was like two inches of slush. And so these are one of the things like we're talking about producing. When you're shooting, I think of producing as like the, the production is this train that is barreling down the tracks. And Dylan is like laying down the tracks moments before the train rolls over them, trying to keep the train moving because mm-hmm. the train is not going to stop. One of those things was the lake. Like, what do we do about the lake? Because we didn't have a lot of other options. So he, mm-hmm. part of one of his responsibilities is, was getting it checked every couple of days and getting core samples and finding out, are we going to have a lake in the end for this final sequence? Right. <laughs> Without anybody drowning. <laughs> That's right. And be able to put a crew on top of it and drowning or sinking like a million dollars of gear to the bottom of the lake. (laughs) I'm more, I'm more worried about the people, but, uh, also the gear is weighs more than, than so it's more likely like a, you know, snowmobile will go through. So, well, so we're, we're, meanwhile, we, we start shooting the first week, which isn't on the lake. And we're also carrying this stress of, are we going to have a lake in the end? Cause I think we shot that in the second week. Um, we did in the end, it actually, <laughs> yeah, we got a, a couple of cold, really cold nights. And it turned out that that layer of slush frozen this beautiful sheen, which allowed for some of the really great mm-hmm. visuals we have from that sequence. But that was something that was touch and go. And then we would we would just be moving from one location to the other. Like one location would have a lot of snow and another location wouldn't have a lot of snow. And as a director, I'm 
there's nothing I can do. Like Dylan said on an indie film, it's not like we can reschedule this. It's not mm-hmm. like we can add days at the end. We're scheduled to be here at this moment. We got to shoot at this moment. For people who have seen the, it turned out in the end, I didn't have to worry too much. The visual effects, the sound design, the color timing. Actually, in post-production, we had to pull some of it back because it got so, the experience of it was so cold that we realized people would never believe that they would keep going. So we had to pull some of that back. But when you're shooting and it's 13 degrees Celsius and it's supposed to be 20 below Celsius, it's hard not to be nervous that this is not going to work out in the end. Um, for people who have, have seen it, most no one usually comments about that. Now that I've mentioned it, and if someone watches it for the first time, they'll probably see that. Um, but I'm, I was really grateful that it didn't affect the movie as much as I thought it would. There was days where we were shooting. I think the last day we shot it was 13 degrees Celsius, and the actors are wearing these jackets and they're shiv they have to fake shiver obviously i would call cut and they would just be ripping their clothes off because they're drenched and wet and uh it was a strange strange experience that way dylan did i yeah. is there another story i missed there no that's good the, the there was definitely um there was some extremes because we had to shoot in a few different areas some like lower ele- elevation and some higher so the frozen lake yeah the frozen lake was um i remember looking at if we could reschedule because there's always the you know oh maybe we can like move it but it actually was like a hundred percent locked in on this day. There's just no way to move other things around. So <laughs> I, I literally just like went for a walk and prayed and was like, all right, I, I don't think there's anything else that can be done. Like there's just nothing else. I, and you know, it was just, uh, yeah. In the, in the end, it was so beautiful. The lake, like, I mean, yeah, the, the lake was beautiful. That the day was gorgeous. The day, two days, I think it was the day after we shot, um, on the frozen lake. We also shot in, um, the stream, uh, that you guys, if you remember where Alex, I won't give it, I won't do have too many spoilers for your, for your viewers, but some actors, you know, do go through some, some water. And that was the coldest day of our shoot. I believe it was like dipped to minus 20, uh, on that day. So we did have, you know, um, uh, Alex, you know, go, going, going into some, some pretty frigid water. So there was like, it was just these, 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 you know, huge extremes. And then in post, we did do a lot of work to even those, even those things out, smooth them. Um, uh, I, I, Jason mentioned like somebody watching it for the first time. I don't want to ruin the experience for somebody watching yeah. it for the first time. Uh, so, you know, close your, close your ears or go like, la, 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 la. If you're, if you're, if you're going to watch <laughs> it right after this. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, let me just share a couple things. OK, so spoiler alert. But we <laughs> did a, we did probably, I don't know, 170 or something um, cold breaths like we had an amazing visual effects team. And we um, we did a, a bunch of in moments where, you know, we went from a scene where they actually had lots of, you know, it was quite cold. And when we were okay. shooting um, to like someplace where we didn't. So there was quite a bit of moments that we used visual effects, breath and falling visual effects, adding falling snow and things like that in order to even, even those elements out. So, and like Jason said, I've never, every time I come out of, especially theaters, cause theaters will also crank up the AC. You know, it's great when you watch mm-hmm. it in a theater cause everybody, when they yeah. leave, it's like, oh, I'm freezing, you know? And, and yeah. uh, that's, that's, I love that. It's such a visceral experience for, for so many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, so Gemma actually sent me a screenshot of when you guys were live tweeting um, the movie with her doing that with the Jamie Bamber fans and saying that, that like some of the snow was fake. And I was like, wait, what? Like it was, it, yeah, it's beautifully, it's beautifully done. So other than the weather, what was the hardest thing in getting numb to the final product? Oh, good. <laughs> good. That's such a good question. Uh, I'll, I'll go first, Jason, maybe like for me, there was, um, there was the process of, um, like we had a couple of false starts where we were, you know, aiming to be finance and going through the whole process and things just didn't move fast enough. So we missed the window for winter because we need, we needed to shoot, you know, in, in like two to three months and, uh, time period window. And then like, so the actual, like 
internal emotional process of being geared up to want to make something and then have to put things on hold. That was really difficult a couple times to actually keep the, you know, keep the optimism, keep the faith per se, like, just like be like, okay, we want to, I want to get this made. We're going to now have to wait nine months and we're going to like turn around and we're going to go up. We're going to do this again next year where we're going to put this together. And, you know, as a producer, it's like putting all these pieces, you know, it's like building the Jenga tower and not having it fall down, you know, like, and with, so that was, that was hard. I, 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 I can say in the month we were prepping, like I was in a, in a location scout van driving, you know, to different snowy locations. Me and Jason are like trekking through snow up to our knees, you know, in the middle of January in, uh, you know, the interior of BC. And I'm taking a phone call being like, is that financing really close? Like, can we make sure, like, I need that, like I'm spending yeah. money as I'm securing <laughs> the money to the last bit of money to, to make the film. But it was like that kind of that emotional process of just being like, just keep, just keep working through the problems, just keep working, working this and kind of believing that this is a film that needs to get made. And kind of like, as the direct, like Jason would know about these things as the, as the, you know, director and producer, you're like, you are building the train track as you, as you go, like Jason said, the train has left the station. There are crew members and <laughs> their families on that train, you know, like right. in terms of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their, their employment and stuff. And you just want to like lead that well and, and do that well. So you don't, you know, uh, make a great film and also make it a good experience for people. So that was, I found that whole, you know, process of building the track as you go emotionally taxing at times. <laughs> yeah yeah for me um i think more in terms of production itself so the weather of course was a challenge but we didn't we didn't have a lot of time to shoot the film so it's hard for people to understand what this means exactly but we shot the film in 18 days which is wow no time at all and we were dealing with weather and we were shooting outside so our our days were shorter it's not like we could have a full shooting day you you were you had to wait for the sun to come up and once the sun went down you were done but you'd also have to snowmobile everyone out to set and it would just take everything just took longer to get going and so as a director you know you you had planned on shooting a scene a certain way and you inevitably I'd only be able to get sort of 30% of what I was hoping for. So every day honestly felt a bit like a failure because you just couldn't get what you wanted. The actors were amazing because I had to shoot so fast. They got used to me after one, if one, if the first take worked, I'd be like, great, moving on. And they would turn to me and be like, wait, what? Like, you're taking good. We're moving on. And so like, I think, Marie or someone was like, I was like two take Jason. Like I, like I would just, if, if I got it in at least two takes, we were moving on. We did not have time to fiddle about and do multiple takes. So the actors adjusted really well to that and knew right away to bring in their A game. Cause we were every time we were rolling, this was real. So I was grateful for that. And of course, on some key moments, I would make sure I built in time to get six or seven takes the luxury. Of that. Um, if you compare that to larger movies, it's kind of absurd, of course. Um, reshoots on big movies take three times as long as 18 days. So that was a constant struggle for me was giving up on or letting go of the kind of perfection you had hoped for, trying to find the compromise. And then, as Dylan said, you know, each scene, the set in my, what was like, what do I have to get so that we have a movie at the end of the day? What is the the bare minimum to make sure we can tell this story. So, you know, there were times as a director where you're, because you're not getting all the coverage you want or all the details you want, you're not sure if it's going to work. You're just sort of trusting your gut and trying to make sure you pull together what you can. So that was, that wasn't easy. It wasn't until it actually, ironically in the third week of shooting, it was so warm the days moved quicker, right? Like it was, we could shoot a little bit faster because it was essentially a warm, we weren't battling um, mm-hmm. cold elements and we, the location we were in was a little more accessible. So I remember the last three days felt like normal film days and that instead of only getting 30% of what I hoped for, I would get 85% of what I hoped for, you know? I do think that 
I mean, there is uh, Jason as your as your friend and producer. I hope we get more than thirty percent time <laughs> next time. 18, Eighteen days. Eighteen days, man. Um, however, I do think that there was something like. You know, I think some uh, filmmakers would really crumble under the like the pressure of, you know, not having like I, I feel like, you know, when you you kind of sometimes get spoiled where you're like, ah, oh, you know, I'll shoot a bunch of stuff. And like this 50 percent might not work out. No big deal. Um, like I felt like there was actually something really useful, although painful, <laughs> I know about that pressure of um, having to ask those questions like, you know, out of this day. Like, do I, do we still, have, what shots do I need in order to have a film, you know, to, to tell the story and to hear you got, you know, to, to hear that you've watched the film multiple times and enjoy it. And the intensity that is really rewarding to hear, you know, anytime we have that kind of interaction is always, uh, like, it's always lovely to hear because you don't have that background knowledge of all the shots Jason wanted to shoot. You yeah. just see the shots that he yeah. did. Shoot. And so for me, I go like that makes me like Jason's, you know, directing. That's, that's why I enjoy working with Jason because of that process of, you know, I know he's, there's the, there's the ideal situation. And then there's like the protection of what's really important at the core of the story and to be able to recognize that and cut away the fat is, uh, really, really uh, useful and, and, and yeah. good craft, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that's so great about indie movies so often is that there's a realness there that I, I okay, I'm a, I'm a nerd. I love Marvel movies. I love all that stuff, but I love to then turn around and watch an indie and there's just, there's a, there's a truth to it. Mm-hmm. That, that you could just, that is just different than you get in the like shiny, you know, CGI world of, mm-hmm. you know, superheroes or whatever. And, and I think that that probably has a lot to do with the urgency you get on these movies. It has to be right. Your actors have to be up to here. Your directors have to be up to here. Everybody's got to be on all the time. And it just, it comes through in a different way. And, um, it definitely did on Numb as well. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. Um, so, as Kelsey mentioned, you were kind enough to do a live tweet with my Jamie Bamba fan page a few weeks ago, which was which was brilliant. We got lots of behind the scenes info. So much fun. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm really glad that you came on board. When we saw that you were coming on board, it was like, oh my gosh, wow. (laughs) It was was fantastic to to Mm. do and to get all that. And and I think a lot of people joined in and watched it that hadn't watched it before. And it was just a a brilliant experience. But um, obviously, for for those who who haven't watched the film or have, um, so Jamie's character is meant to, he he knows about, you know, going into the forests in the, you know, freezing cold and he knows what to do um how much of that did he have to to learn i know you told us a story about um the climbing can you tell us a bit about that yeah um i could talk about jamie for a while actually um, <laughs> i'm that fine with me crush on jamie bamber uh, everybody has so, a crush on jamie everyone bamber. has a crush on jamie bamber <laughs> this is this is another thing that's coming out from everything with everyone's it's, it's just a fact i got to interview him for a for one of these and and he i was like it's gonna take me a minute before i can look at the screen i'm really yes. sorry <laughs> he was very oh, gracious yeah, even more skilled and competent and professional than you would ever like you assume he probably is and then you discover oh my gosh he's even like he speaks multiple languages yeah he just he's a very smart guy he so he let me tell you one brief story and then i'll explain in the press not scene so he actually came because this is a we're canadian filmmakers and the, the story is set in british columbia and canada and and so uh, he arrived into town um on these indie films not we we have time to rehearse so he shows up a couple of days before and do final wardrobe fitting. And then the night before we start shooting, we have a table read of the script. Just so at, we, at least, you know, everyone's read the whole, whole story, right? Like, cause sometimes actors will only read their parts. And, um, he came prepared with like this pitch perfect Canadian accent, which we hadn't, him and I had not discussed. <laughs> and, for most of us Canadians, we are used to American television, so we forget what we sound like. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I don't think I'm in the minority where we don't particularly like what we sound like. <laughs> so he did this whole um, table read in a Canadian accent. And I went up to him after was like, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't think I can, I don't think we should do a Canadian accent. I think, uh, can we just do your, your battle star generic American? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, sure. No problems. But he, he just was prepared. He had a bunch of options that way. So, so one of the stories with Jamie, he's just able to, what people don't understand is the pressure in which you have to perform in film is super intense. So you have all these skills, these performance skill sets that say a theater actor would have, or any kind of, any kind of performer would have, but then you have to sit around for long periods of time, not knowing when you're going to shoot. And then you're suddenly told not suddenly you get, you get a little bit of warning that you're going to have to show up in a few minutes, perform this scene and you have to get it right on the first or second time. And every moment that we're shooting, we're burning through money essentially, right? <laughs> Cause we either have to reset the whole take or whatever it's, there's the crew is working. There's just these short windows that film and TV actors have to perform in and be perfect. And Jamie was somebody who just right away, you could see he was somebody who could get himself in the zone, be ready to go and nail it every single time. And two instances, actually, in the film, he has to he has to tie a specific outdoor knot. Both of them are complicated. So, um, you know, maybe turn your sound down for a few seconds here. But one is when they're scaling down the cliff and he he ties everyone in. And then the other one is when he's going back up the cliff and he does this very specific kind of climbing knot that you don't see on screen very often. I can actually only think of one other movie I've seen that in um, called The Pressing Knot. And in both cases, just because of the nature of indie films, he shows up and had to learn it in that moment. So we rehearse the scene, we kind of get our blocking down. And then while we're setting up the cameras and maybe some bounce boards and things were outside, he is working with the stunt guys and learning how to tie these complex knots in about 30 minutes and then is able to perform, do the performance of the character saying the lines and all the different beats while he's doing these complicated knots in the moment. And as I mentioned in the live tweet for the very complicated knot where he is going up the cliff, he, we did two long takes where he just nailed it right away and started climbing up the cliff. And I, I remember just being in total awe of that kind of focus and ability to perform under pressure. No, I mean, I mean, when, when you said that on the live tweet, I, me and my, um, the, the girl who runs it with me, we were just like messaging each other going, what? Oh my gosh. It was like, I mean, not that we didn't think he could, but it was like, you know, to hear that he's done that. I did not, I did not think he could. Like, I thought there's no way, because on that, the, the, especially the complex knot, I mean, I like Jamie Bamber is a pro, but come on, he's a human. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I just did. <laughs> Look, that's not just normal. <laughs> for that second, not especially, I had been under the impression that he had been being trained up on it in that knot leading up to this day. It, we just had failed to communicate on that. And then discovering he didn't know how to do it, I thought, oh my goodness, we're, we're going to be in trouble. And then he goes and learns it in like 30 minutes. <laughs> no. So it, I have doubts there. Yeah, yeah, I'm just thinking. My my oldest daughter's in Girl Scouts, and we did a camping trip, and we had to learn all these knots. And I'm like, they're like fairly simple, like knots. And us sitting there going, wait, which way does it go? Like, <laughs> what, what, what? And I'm just like, and learning this some crazy complicated knot that fast that you have to then actually like use, not just sitting at a table practicing. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. impressive. Mm-hmm. Wow, thing in character oh, as well. And while you and and on that day he had to fake being cold. <laughs> yeah. So oh, that's that whole hard. time it was actually a warm day. He is pretending to be shivering. Yeah. Yeah, to like get the hand movements and stuff. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. This podcast is brought to you by TV Series Hub TV, your site for entertainment news, reviews, and interviews. Now back to the show. 
Well, okay. So we, we appreciate you guys spending so much time talking about NUM. We do want to hit really quick. You have three projects listed on your upcoming on your website that we wanted to hit and, and see if you could tell us a little more. You got your heart is the size of your fist, prison boy and common grace. Can you tell us a little bit about when they're happening? What's happening? What to expect? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Jason's Skype just froze there for a second, or maybe I'm giving you space. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, yeah. Um, so, your heart is the size of your fist is the is the um, the, the memoir that I mentioned earlier. Um, so that one uh, we hope to go into production late next year. Um, you know, it's being put together slowly, and part of the complication of that is that we do want to. Um, we want to do something that we haven't done before, which is do like an international co-production if possible for that. Um, cause what we would really, um, you know, so I'm kind of share, sharing with you a little bit of like the, the hopes and dreams in terms of like, we'll see there is a, there's a version of it that we can do just kind of in Canada with Canadian, you know, there's lots of great multicultural actors, you know, all over this country, which is, it's a great talent pool, but we're really interested in, in maybe, you know, partnering with, uh, somebody from the EU, you know, that might have, uh, you know, we're actually looking for, for great actors who actually have been refugees themselves. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the things that we would love to do if we, if we can. So, um, partnering with a company in the EU might, might be the way to, to do that since there's a lot of great, you know, folks who have ended up in EU countries. So, um, so that's kind of, that's coming along and that is a, fantastic you know the, the the story is is really touching jason do you want to share anything jason's been writing the the script and the martina schultons who is the the real life doctor you know who wrote the memoirs are also story consulting with us and i think you guys have been working through like we have a uh, a, a draft that we feel comfortable sending out to actors and stuff at this point. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's slowly coming together and we would shoot that in Vancouver late next year. Anything you want to add on that, Jason? Um, read the book. Your heart is the size of your fist. Dr. Martina Schultens. It's, um, a really interesting way into what is really the most pressing issue of our time, which is displaced people around the world. And she comes at it, um, from a really unique point of view, uh, it was an interesting way into the subject. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's very timely, um, <laughs> you know, everywhere, um, it, it, you know, to deal with the subject of refugees. That's, that's mm. cool. And what about um, and Prison Boy? A little boy prison who grew bo up in a women's prison? Yes, it's a... <laughs> A long digesting TV series that we've been developing about um, a young boy who, in this story world, he is the one and only kid in Canada to have grown up in a women's prison from birth until he was a teenager. So, in a lot around the world, it's not uncommon for children to be with their moms for the first year or two or three um, to, to uh, attach them. Um, in this world, in this version, he's sort of in a pilot project where he stays with his mom indefinitely. And the story sort of ramps up when his mom passes away and he's sort of thrown out into the real world, so to speak, and discovers that the story around the conviction and incarceration of his mom for killing his dad is not the whole story. And it sends him on a quest to find out what actually happened to his parents. Oh, wow. So we've had some traction on that and some interest and, um, you know, there's a pilot script and, but we haven't been able to get financing for that yet or put that together, but that's kind of a dream project that's always in the back burner that sounds for us. really interesting. Right. Yeah. There's, so I don't know if you guys know the uh, Australian prison drama Wentworth and, um, yeah. and, and then I think in the, in the first season they actually show, yeah, like a little child with the mom in prison and I had to go and Google like is this a thing yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so yeah that would be interesting and then common grace you want to take that Dylan sure um I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. Maybe you can expand. Uh, Shauna Johannesson is uh, a, a local playwright who who wrote a, a great play called Common Grace about a woman who comes home uh, for her father's funeral. And she's coming home from like she grew up in a a very kind of uh, fundamentalist uh, 
Dutch reform community, like a real, you know, kind of a very tight knit where everybody's in each other's business. And, uh, you know, about a year ago, she kind of disappeared and, and left and uh, missed her father got cancer and slowly died while she was out of town and she's coming home for the funeral. But what everybody doesn't know, except her dad did know, is that the reason she left town was because she had an affair with a man and kind of fell in love, had an affair Um they both came from this uh, Dutch reform tradition, so they decided that they would uh, kind of in a in a funny, very kind of straight laced way um, go to his wife and actually tell her and give her kind of a choice whether um, she would want to stay married with him or not, like whether he should uh, respect her vows. She did not want to get divorced. She wanted to stay married. And so she actually, you know, she self exiled herself kind of out of the community and she's coming back into her family. Nobody knows about this. And it's this, um, I think of it as like a dark comedy about kind of somebody coming back to their roots. Um, a lot of us who've grown up in small towns where everybody's in each other's business and, you know, kind of know about these types of situations where you, you know, you kind of come home for a weekend and it's kind of, you get that taste of like, ah, everybody is like, you know, uh, just, just everybody knows each other here. And like, so it's, it's, it's a comedy. Uh, I, I, I think of it as a comedy. I know Shauna thinks of it as a drama. Uh, I just think it's a, maybe it's a drama with like a ton of comedy in it. We might be able to comedy. write dramedy. <laughs> I, I, I want to avoid that. Cause for some reason that sounds like there's like a tombstone <laughs> in my mind, like a tombstone comes like, like, is, like dead project. Does I call it that for some reason? No, it's, it's really, um, we came Jason saw the play and immediately told me about it. Um, I read read the play. I didn't get to see it um, staged, but um, right away we we wanted to start working with with Shauna. She's written a, a script that is just so sharp and so funny, uh, and so like really um, really hits on a lot of the themes even that we see politically and in society today about like people who can't talk to people that disagree with them. Like it's it's actually quite quite a loving uh, view of like coming back to your roots, but not just kind of, you know, uh, I guess disassociating yourself, but like trying to engage with people that might actually think completely different than you and like trying to be family. That's really what it's about. So it's, it's actually, a, um, also a cast of like four main female roles. Like the, it's the one, the woman who's exiled herself, Colleen, two of her sisters and her mom, and each of them kind of have a, have a piece of, uh, kind of like, some some family secrets, some uh, drama around why she ex- exiled herself, and it's basically just a, a, a juicy family comedy drama. Jason, have I butchered this or what? <laughs> uh, no, you did fine. Yeah, it's not <laughs> fine. She's been, okay, she's uh, <laughs> she's written and directed some short films. This would be her debut feature. She would be directing. We're excited to support her and and help her get financing to to make her first feature. Yeah, well, that's, that's right. Amazing. She's a really great. She's a really uh, unique voice as well. So we're like, that's what I look forward to. Like, I would pay money to go see this. Yeah. Um, especially being told by somebody with such an authentic voice. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they all sound like really, really interesting projects, and we wish you luck in getting the financing sorted to get them off the ground because, yeah. you know, they're things that I would really like to see. Um, so we are going to be wrapping up now, um, but we did before that, we just wondered if there was anything else you'd like to share with the fans at all or anything. We have fans. <laughs> Always- <laughs> you have fans. <laughs> when you, when you spend a number of years trying to get a film made, and and then the struggle of making the film and getting it out in the world, you know that's why we want to do the live tweet. If you if you find out you've got a group of people that really enjoyed the film, that's honestly it's really gratifying, mm-hmm. um, and it's fun to experience the film through their eyes and get their thoughts on it and even their critiques, that's all welcome. And it's, and it, it enhances the experience and it sort of changes your viewpoint of those stressful, cold days when we shot the film, right? Like you start, those memories start to reform into something different when you see how people react to it. Yeah. So we're really grateful for 
those positive responses and are and are and just grateful that someone enjoyed the film and maybe it touched them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say thank you again for um, for doing the live tweet with, with us over on um, Jamie Bamba fans because it really was um, it was a pleasure and it was fun to to hear all these behind the scenes things and just get everyone involved in it. So no, it was it was mm. a really really good experience. So thank you. You're welcome. Mm. I, I think I meant live tweet, but for those of you who still use DVDs, Alex Bonovic <laughs> and I we do um, yeah me too Alex Ponovic and I do a pretty detailed commentary of the film on the DVD so unfortunately it's not on the digital release but um, that's another place to get more about the story of the film Brilliant. there's there's one more place that I wanted to mention which is we actually um, after doing the film during the making of the film me and Jason kept we had this Google Doc that we would just constantly be like dumping like basically the whole story of the film the whole development we had this long google doc where we were just making notes all the time mostly for each other and when we finished um jason went back and um wrote out like a basically a production diary and um and a local industry paper here in vancouver called real west published it and um what i'd like to do it's it real west has taken it down since but i saved it as a pdf and I, I i'd love to send like a link to that pdf to you guys for or for any of the listeners who want to read in detail kind of like the whole process uh, all the way up to its uh its release um you know that's some place where you can really dig into i think it's about five thousand words so it's it's pretty detailed yeah we would love yeah. to share that absolutely yeah. please yeah send that along um that we uh, we love to support our Nurks tends to be sort of this like dual anything that fans are excited about. It tends to be either like sci-fi fantasy and then indie, and that's sort of like our lane that we kind of you know go down and and so we tend to find our the listeners are like the crazy fans who would literally go and read that you know that thing. Um, <laughs> that tends to be the you know our 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 people, I guess, um, you awesome. know, who else wants to listen to an hour long interview other than people who already love it, <laughs> frankly. <Yeah. laughs> so, um, thank you guys so much for spending so much time with us. We really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. We are going to wrap with our last question as always is your favorite fan interaction you've ever had. And we'll start with Jason this time. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about our Korean experience. So we had our world premiere in Busan, which is this um, beautiful beachside city in South Korea. And they have this huge international film festival that's attached to the Asian film market. And we were lucky enough to be selected for their sort of midnight screening of like 12 thriller slash horror films, which was an awesome honor. And... Uh, film fans and like Korea makes amazing movies and their film fans are just as great. So we had three or three or four screenings there that were packed with sometimes over a thousand people and fans there are super positive and you just be swarmed afterwards for autographs. And it was a, it was a cool experience. It was great to, connect with people across culturally uh, to see it resonate with other people, the story. And having been a fan of Korean cinema, it was so cool to screen in Korea and sort of be a part of that story as well. That's really good. All right, Dylan, how uh, about you? Put you on the spot now. <laughs> yeah, there's two things that come to mind. Um, one, yeah, in, uh, one of my favorite things, it's it's a little bit unspecific, but is the when we used to do Q&A's uh, after like when we were doing our theatrical release, we do Q&A's. And when we made the film, we had like 500 fake, you know, fake gold coins minted in China and shipped to, you know, to us like it was, you know, because where else do you get, you know, fake coins minted? <laughs> Uh, for a film and our props master got really worried about maybe, you know, getting arrested for, for counterfeiting. But anyways, we got through it. Um, but we would, we had a bunch left over after the filming. And so we used to do like, you know, if you ask a question in the Q and a, we get to give you like a gold coin from none that you get to keep as long as you don't try to sell it, like on the black market, get us in trouble. And that was just the funnest 
thing, you know, like seeing people. Um, so that, that was, that was super fun to seeing people super, like really engaged in Q and A's. Um, but my favorite fan interaction is actually a group interaction. What's that, Jason? You're, we're bribing them to ask questions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. My favorite fan thing is just like, can, you know, saying here, here's something. If you make me feel wanted, um, <laughs> but, uh, my, so my, my, uh, favorite thing fan related is actually the experience of watching the movies, uh, movie with, with people in a theater. And there's one specific moment where people always scream and it's my favorite thing. And I was watching it with my mom at the Whistler film festival and it was just the best. Like it, you know, my mom just like jumped out of like, you know, it was about five, it was 500 people in the audience and the moment is kind of a jump scare moment. And you know, the audience reacted as they should. And it just always really feels good, you know, to kind of like aim for something and then have people like really, you know, jump out of their seats. That was, that's kind of my favorite thing. And my mom kind of grabbed my arm, you know, like, uh, jumped and grabbed my arm and I was, and, uh, and then she smiled at me. So it was, it's like, a, it was a, it was a good moment. It was good. Um, that's my favorite thing, watching the movie with fan with fans. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thank you guys again. Um, so this will come out next week on Wednesday. Um, so just send us that link and we'll attach it on there as well. Um, we really appreciate you guys. I know like, sorry, it was a little chaotic (laughs) in the beginning there. (laughs) Um, no worries. This has been great. Thank you for, thank you for inviting us. Oh, thank you guys. We appreciate it. And we can't wait to see what's next. Definitely. Us too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You, bye, guys. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to another Nurks podcast. Rate us, leave us a review on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at Nurks of the Hub. And let us know what you think.